0: Hello and welcome to College Sports Conversations presented by the NCAA, I'm Justin Whitaker. Today, my guest is Alexis Stanley, the former women's lacrosse student athlete played at Concordia St. Paul while earning her undergraduate degree in public relations and in April 2023 capped her college and lacrosse career at Mount Olive with a master's in business administration. Alexis is a passionate advocate for diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives and uh, also diabetes since she was diagnosed in 2018. While as a student athlete, she's been heavily involved in several roles to promote awareness for both topics and has an incredible backstory. Alexis currently serves as a communications and advocacy intern for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota with a focus on racial health and equity. A career goal of Alexis is to start a nonprofit in the future. So Alexis, it's great to have you. Thank you for for joining us here. Let's kind of start. It's clear, you you have a lot of interest and passion for these issues. What's Mm -hmm. kind of your vision for starting your own nonprofit? Where does that come from?
1: Yeah. um, So that comes from a different story. So in 2017, I actually watched my sister. um, She was shot and paralyzed in Minnesota, where I'm from. And 10 months later, I was in the hospital being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Um, So it was a lot in that year for my family and I think something that me and my sister both realized and kind of agreed on once we kind of talked about our experiences was that we felt like we were sent home and with like pamphlets but no resources and no like actual human connection and help to navigate our new life. So in regards to having a nonprofit, I think something that I would want to focus on is training and having the resources for advocates to go connect with people whose lives have been altered by these circumstances and different changes and kind of give them like show them the ropes of how to lead their new normal life because that's something that we both struggled with and we just didn't have that resource um but specifically i would like to start it focused on diabetes because that's something that i live with daily um and i know A lot more about that issue and i would love to just create um, a foundation and organization that focuses on giving diabetics these resources especially people like me i was diagnosed at 19 um, and i just went home didn't really know what to do didn't know how to be an athlete again i didn't know how to do the most basic things Um, and i think if i had someone in my corner the whole time with me I think navigating it would have been a lot smoother and that's kind of where i want to start that
0: well it sounds like you've got a powerful explanation and reason for <laughs> pursuing this certainly yeah. back to you know the conversation about your sister what mm-hmm. happened how, how is she now like what, what what was the context
1: yeah um so we were in minneapolis in minnesota um we were having a night out i was yeah it was my senior year of high school Um, and we were just leaving and we're gonna go get food, get pizza, whatever. And we were like, no, we decided not to. And next thing you know, shots went off, fired. We don't know who did it, what happened. Um, she was the only one that got hit in the seven shots that went off. And I was the first one to her. So I put my hand on her chest, the bullet went through um her chest to her spine, and it's still there. Um, so she's paralyzed from the waist down but she was in the hospital for months doing her recovery and her rehab. And she's home. She's been home obviously, but, um, she's great. Now she got her driver's license. She has hand controls in her car. Um, but it took her time to learn how to navigate that, which is where this vision comes in because no one in my family knew how to help her adjust to this new normal. Um, and if we had someone in her shoes, that knew how to adjust to life without being able to use your legs. I think that would have helped her with this transition and she could have been more successful and more confident early on rather than it taking the time it did for her to finally learn how to do these things.
0: Well, as a senior in high school, that's probably something you never expect, obviously, to, to have to run in to, to help with and do. Yeah. What did what did you kind of learn about yourself in that context? Because I'm sure it was pretty jarring, scaring to see your your sister like that um, yeah. at such a formative time of your life.
1: Yeah. Um. Honestly, it prepared me for everything else that I experienced in college. Um. It's a lot. I had two roommates while I was in college that ended up um, taking their life as well. Wow. So that instance made me learn in that time that like I can overcome that and I can go through it and really take the time to care for myself. I think that is a big thing where it's people push that mental health aspect under the rug, but it's like, you can't continue to do the work that you want to do if you are not okay. Um, So getting into that, when I was diagnosed 10 months later with type one, it was like another thing that just was this insurmountable, like I had no clue that I would be able to get through the first event. And now this happened and it just kept piling on as I went through college. And it just taught me that I'm more resilient than I expected. And I just am able to push through things um, and still want to make the world better, even though the world hasn't really treated me the best.
0: Well, that's an incredible, very admirable for you to to go through things like that and have that perspective, um, you know, i bringing up topics like that, Uh, my brother, unfortunately, committed suicide a couple months ago. And so, you know, you saying going through those experiences, and trying to navigate life by also keeping a positive attitude. It's hard, right? You know, it's hard to, to have have difficulty, uh, especially regarding those topics and just see the bright side. But what tips have you done? I know, personally, it's just I try to focus on myself and try to just be very present and, uh, just be very aware of the feelings that I'm feeling. But what, how, how do, you approach those things? Like those, those are all very personal, heavy, deep things. And I, I mean, how old are you like 22,
1: 23,
0: 24, 24. Sorry. So like yeah. <laughs> that's, is, all. That is, that is, that's more than a lifetime of things that you've experienced in just six years.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say I just listen to myself. Um, I had really bad coping habits. I'd say the first couple traumatic events that I went through um, because I'd never been like through something like that. Um, But as I got older and learned that I can't function when I'm not fully there, it took a toll on everything. Um, Like, which goes in like my senior year of college, I withdrew from my lacrosse team um, because of my mental health. And it was something where I can't perform to my best if I don't, take care of me. So like I go to therapy and I love it. And people think therapy is some taboo subject of like, Oh, you go to therapy. Like you need help. Like it's like, yeah, I do need help. And there's people that are able to help me and give me the tips and tricks that I need to feel whole and to feel present in these moments. Like you said, of understanding what you're feeling. Um, And I would say that is definitely the biggest thing is just taking everything day by day, when I feel something acknowledging it and stop pushing it down because I used to just bury myself in work and school and lacrosse. And I'd always just say busy, like something happened. It was like, Oh, I have lacrosse practice. Like I can't focus on that. Or I have work. I have school. I have a paper to write. And I would just keep pushing things off. And sooner or later I did horrible. Like I didn't do well in classes and I didn't do well on the lacrosse field. And it all came down to like, my mental health was not, the place it needed to be. And it helped me take a step back and kind of finally realize the things I needed to do to get better.
0: Right. Well, I, kudos to you, you know, and and very happy that you're here and you're the person you are and you've dedicated your life to this advocacy for helping others. Um, it says a lot about a person when you go through heartache yourself mm-hmm. to spin that around and help others. And so I, I really commend you for the work you're doing and you know, I greatly appreciate this conversation and like having this open conversation with you. It's it's very empowering and enlightening. Like, did not expect this coming into it, you know. So I, I appreciate you being open and and willing to willing to talk with us. Thank you.
1: Yeah, no problem. Honestly, I didn't know if I was going to share every single thing, and I was like, <laughs> it felt like it fit. And it people also need to hear that like when tragedy strikes, there's always a way to come out on the other side.
0: Absolutely. I I think you framed that very well. I love the way that, you know, even through negative, you have found positive things about yourself. And I think regardless of any negative situation, if somebody's going through it, you figure out either what to do or what not to do. And, yeah. you know, it sounds like you've you've confronted these issues head on, been open and honest and aware. And I love what you said about, you know, we don't need a stigma. If if you've got an issue with mental health and you're feeling down, like there's nothing wrong with with seeking help and talking yeah. about things. So, so awesome, uh, you know, clap claps to you, you know, and and more. So, um, you know, kind of saying in that same, uh, you know, breath, mm-hmm. being in Minneapolis and Saint Paul, and obviously, um, you know, the the tragic killing of, of George Floyd in, in May twenty twenty, um, mm-hmm. you know, was, you're you're living there. You've under, you've underwent some difficult situations, but you started working. I think right after, like, or mm-hmm. within a couple of weeks, month, yeah. uh, with Minnesota Voice, you know, a nonprofit who focuses on creating change and racial and social economic justice um, mm-hmm. through civic engagement. So, describe what that time was like um, for you. Like, did you did you have the the spot lined up before all that happened, or did you kind of did that happen then you start and you were kind of going into this worldwide story?
1: Yeah. um, No, I had no intention of getting a job (laughs) like COVID hit um, and I was just taking that time to be with my roommates and being diabetic, I was high risk. Um, And then next thing, you know, in May, um, George Floyd was murdered. And I mean, the city, it was crazy. Like I can't even put into words the experience that we like dealt. And then me being a black woman the feeling I felt watching another black person being killed by the police on a national stage. Everything you opened was his death. Like it was just, you couldn't escape it. Um, And that is, I think what the hardest part was watching someone that like could be my older brother, Um, like could be him next, you know? And Minneapolis was crazy. Um, And with Minnesota Voice, I actually, it was from an internship I did in the fall for Alliance for a Better Minnesota. My boss from that just sent my contact information over. And the next thing I know I'm getting a call and they're like, oh, do you wanna work for us? Like, we know your history, your background. We have an opening and they're like, I know it's not the best time, but like we need someone who's dedicated to the work and who will help us achieve our goals. So it was a no brainer. Like regardless of what I was feeling mentally, It was kind of that still same coping mechanism of let me bury myself in work, let me. But this work, I was actually able to affect the community and do good, like with it. Um, So it was easy. I took the job, um, and we focused on the populations that were affected by COVID the most. So we have the high risks, and then we also have people that are facing houselessness, and they're dealing with COVID and. Our biggest thing was just getting like food, water, whatever you do, hold food drives, um, help like food shelters and do a lot of volunteering work. We activated a lot of people within the community to help us out with this, which is great. Um, but it was hard. It was a new 180 of like, how do we reach people with respects to COVID? Because you can't just go door to door and be like, hey, here we are, um, right. because it was also an election year. And we focus on our civic engagement through voting. So we, outside of COVID and making sure that our community is taken care of, it was also like making sure that the vulnerable are still able to have their voice be heard regardless of the circumstances because not many people are going to leave their house to go to the polls. So it was us finding a new way to help change the narrative around everything and just making sure that they, can still use their voice. And it was kind of a lot to just kind of dive into. But the last four years that we dealt from 2016 to 2020, I mean, people were motivated. And especially with George Floyd, it was like people were motivated for change. Um, So that's exactly what we did.
0: Well, and you you spoke about how the community was hurting for a variety of reasons. Obviously, Mm -hmm. COVID was in its infancy, you know, first couple of months of it. People were isolated. People Mm -hmm. um, obviously were you know, enraged with the social injustice and that uh, the George Floyd murder, Um, you had a community that probably wanted to be heard and seen and like Mm -hmm. being involved with, uh, you know, your community like that, seeing them hurt, how, how were you able to, do you feel help them and like make people feel heard?
1: Yeah. Um, That's hard because it felt like I couldn't, help them like regardless of what we did it's like it's still not enough there's another person that is not on like another person is not here anymore and there's nothing you can do to bring them back Mm -hmm. and the way to bring them back like the way to make you feel heard was so controversial um you know how the news has become very divisive and it's like everything that we did from peaceful protesting to even like giving waters. It's like, there are many people that want to change the narrative and then silence them because, Oh, buildings were burning. Like that's the people that you want to listen to. It's like, no, there's different people. Like there's different groups. I don't know. It was really difficult I'm sure. and in, in trying to like help because it's like, we're just a small nonprofit in Minnesota that is like doing the best we can, but it just, I don't know. I've, I attended the, all the peaceful protests and we stood in solidarity and I feel like that's the biggest thing we could do is amplify their voices and try to, I did all the digital communication, so my favorite thing was talking to people out when, at the protests and asking them how they're feeling, what they want to share if they can, and then sharing their story too on our platforms.
0: And does anything stick out to you from, I, I recognize kind of the daunting nature of that, right? You probably feel, probably felt like you had difficulty getting ahead or climbing up that mountain, but were there any certain moments or, you know, interactions with people where you're like, I feel like I made a difference. I feel like this really resonated or this connected with the group.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say just the reactions to the food shelters that we were doing and just seeing, people's like houselessness people that see this as an opportunity for them to like eat and drink and like they don't obviously get that they don't have a place to live they don't have these natural resources so whenever we do food shelters it's like seeing the conversations that would happen between the community members that were all in the same boat but it's like for that split second they're getting fed they're hitting all the resources they need in that moment and like seeing them smile. And it's like, just the emotion of being able to provide that basic necessity that we take for granted every day. And it's like, these people struggle. And it's like, they're in our community. They're still, they're one of us, regardless of their status and where, what they're dealing with. And it's like, every time we hosted one of those and just seeing the camaraderie with the community, just like made me feel a little less burdened that I wasn't doing enough
0: you know yeah absolutely well and speaking of like the the basic needs and you know being able to provide you know Mm -hmm. food resources like that like yeah some people take that for granted and Mm -hmm. and I think with your advocacy also for you know insulin and diabetes as well that can also be an area where people maybe take that for granted and just maybe overlook certain things so you know talk about your involvement. Like how did you kind of find out that you were diabetic? And then um, did you kind of know going into it? Was it, did it come as a surprise? Like how, how did that work?
1: Yeah. Um. So definitely a surprise. Um, no one in my family has it. Um. And I realized I was dealing with something. I just couldn't put, figure out what Um. it was. I was losing weight. I was down like 30 pounds and it was lacrosse season so I'm like oh it's just the workouts like I kept telling my trainer I'm like hey like I'm down 10 pounds this week and he's like well good on you and I'm like I don't know if it's good on me but
0: um 10 pounds in a week
1: yeah like it was wow a lot and being an athlete it's like I'm not trying to lose anything I'm trying to gain muscle probably trying
0: to bulk up or, or, or at least be operating performance yeah yeah
1: um and then it was week after week it'd be like oh i'm down five more pounds and like ultimately ended up i think it was like 27 pounds that i was down in a month of from just like getting sick with strep throat which i was told is what caused it um and then i ended up sleeping through easter and that was like my mom's last straw and she was like we're taking you to the hospital because i was sleeping all the time but Mm -hmm. I just thought it was like the exhaustion of this being my first ever collegiate season of lacrosse. Like I have no clue like how to navigate. I have horrible time management skills. Maybe I'm staying up too late. Um, but I just wasn't performing either. Like my coach pulled me out of a game and I remember being so mad. I was like, why did you pull me? Like, I want to play. And she's like, you just, you don't have it. She's like, you're missing something. And I was like, Okay. I don't know what it was. Um, but yeah, so I ended up sleeping through Easter over Easter break when I went home and my mom was like, all right, we're going to go take you to get checked out. And I thought it was mono because most of my lacrosse team had mono at the time. Like it was, I was like, I don't stay away from me, but, (laughs) um, they tested that and it was negative. So they sent me home. And then I remember it was like four hours later, my parents are at work. Um, and I get a call and they're like, Hey, we actually tested your blood you're positive for type one diabetes and you need to come in right now, you like, if you don't come in now, the chance of you falling into a coma because your blood sugar is so high is very like probable.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So my dad came home from work. I remember it took me straight there. They put me in the ICU on an insulin drip. They said my blood sugar was around 785 and a normal person is between 90 and 130. Wow. So I was in diabetic ketoacidosis when I arrived. So they're like, if you would have stayed, like if you didn't come in when you did, like we don't know, it could have been a different outcome. And that was scary because I had a lacrosse trip two days later. Like I was about to be out of town for the next six days, like playing lacrosse and like just not home where I had my support system to really notice. Like my teammate noticed, like my teammates knew, they're like, oh, you're getting smaller, whatever. But everyone was kind of getting smaller because it was... We're working out all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was diagnosed my freshman year and midseason, which was not ideal, but it was a lot to take in.
0: So what did? How did it change after your diagnosis to being a student athlete? You know, and obviously you're probably used to training and eating a certain way. Like, how did that change as a active, you know, lacrosse player?
1: Yeah, um, it was horrible the first couple of months. Um, I'll be honest, it was one of the hardest things to deal with, just due to the way like my eating habits and working out. It's Like working out drops your blood sugar, and eating carbs brings it up. And it was like trying to realize and like make changes to like my team meals. Being a student athlete, it's like you can't pick what you're ordered. Essentially, like we order in bulk, and it's like we pick a restaurant you pick whatever you want. And it's like, sometimes they don't have really like diabetic friendly options where there's low carbs. And if they do, it's not something I want to eat. Like it's hard to not be picky, but it's hard when you do have these dietary restrictions that affect everything. Cause if my blood sugar goes high and I can't get it under control, I'm not going to perform to my best ability. Mm -hmm. I've done that before high blood sugar and working out is like my worst combination. So being a student athlete and focusing on like everything I did affected my blood sugar. So not only am I worried about per- my performance in the cross, my school, it was, oh, if I eat two pretzels, it's like my blood sugar is going up. Like wow. I can't even snack anymore. Like I had to make decisions every single day and it was just a constant of just, your brain never gets to turn off when you're diabetic. Like even now, like I'm thinking, I'm like, Oh, I wonder what my blood sugar is. Like you just have to be aware of it because it's such a life threatening. You go without insulin, you can be dead in 72 hours. Like that's how serious and scary it is. Um, So just putting that on top of being an athlete, it was a really, really hard transition.
0: I'm sure. And like, it sounds like you just almost had to rework your entire brain and like the way you consider training and eating, um, like who, who helped you? How did, how did you navigate that? Cause you know, that that's tough to, to figure out once you've had a lifetime of being one way, eating one way, just normal, like not having to worry about those things. And then all of a sudden you're juggling a lot personally, you know, you're starting your college career. Um, you're wanting obviously to be performing at your best, Mm-hmm. And you've got this internal thing you can't control hurting you. Like how how did you how did you navigate that? Um and did anybody help you during that time or was it kind of like a lot of trial and error?
1: Yeah, I would definitely say trial and error. Um my parents didn't really understand um much about it. Like I said earlier, we kind of got a pamphlet and we're sent home and it was mm-hmm. all just reading material and it was not real world experience in like real world examples. It was just kind of like, oh, you eat this, you give yourself insulin. And for me, it was hard. I think the hardest thing was learning how much insulin to give when I would eat. And that was like trial and error. Like how much or how many carbs do I have to eat before practice so I don't drop? And how many carbs before lifting? Because lifting sometimes brings it up. Like there's so many things that I've learned and I had to do it all by myself. Um just because I also didn't want to put the burden of this on anyone else. I think that was the biggest thing is I have the support. They always supported me no matter what, but I didn't want them to worry about me, especially because it was like my freshman year. Granted, I was only 30 minutes from home at college, but it's like, I don't want, they're already worried about my sister also. That was my biggest thing is like, my sister is still dealing with everything she's dealing with. Like, I don't want to be another person that they have to, help, guide, and support when I know that I can do it myself. I've always been fairly independent and just continued to be independent and figuring this out.
0: Well, how, how did you kind of transition from, you know, that independence, that kind of learning your own way to figuring out, Hey, this is, I need to help other people or other people need help with this. And like, I know you volunteered for, you know, Minnesota's insulin for all campaign you know, ended up being involved in like, or the governor, uh, you know, involved invite you to the state of the state address, mm-hmm. you know, because of your work and in, in helping pass insulin affordability. Like, how did you realize that was an issue, and why? I guess, how did you channel that to your own experience to to helping others?
1: Yeah, um, I guess this is super cliche, but I always knew that I wanted to like leave the world better than when I found it. Um, and I knew that in my lifetime, like I started college, I was like a criminal justice major. And I was like, I want to like be a lawyer. I wanna help the wrongly incarcerated. Like I've always had plans and dreams to help people. And I think once I became aware that one in four diabetics ration their insulin, um, that like statistic blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And coming from someone who was just diagnosed, who is insured and whose insurance and like care provider gave me so much insulin for the first couple months. Like it was, I had so I like expired that I had so much that I didn't get wow. through. um, And that's when I like realized, like if people are struggling to get this, like, that's not okay because I just easily got it. And if I have the power to be in a place where I can obtain things easily, like mm-hmm. I want to figure out a way to help those who are struggling um, and it wasn't until the fall of my sophomore year, I had to disclose um, to my professors that I have a disability, because um, that's what it's considered under the ADA. So I had to go to every professor, let him know I'm diabetic. And it wasn't until my psych- psychology professor at Concordia University stopped me like a couple of weeks into class and was like, hey, I have a panel if you want to speak on it. Mm-hmm. He's involved in it. His dad was diabetic um, and he was type 2 um he's like but i have a panel if you want to speak on it with a bunch of legislators and just to share your story and if that's something you're interested in like i would love to have you go do it i went and i loved it i like i've never felt anything the way i did advocating and telling my story and letting people know that there's just so many different ways to like i don't even know how to explain it like
0: what having- was so great what was so great about it was it just being able to tell your true story, being able, did you, yeah. did you recognize, you know, you were making an impact, I guess, on the people, you know, they're listening. Like, what was it? Because I, I, I imagine you know, you're fairly new to to mm-hmm. that. Like, you know, you've only kind of known for a year and you're probably still trying to get your bearings and navigate things. So being able to speak at like a panel like that and talk to legislators, um, what, what was it specifically, I guess?
1: Yeah, I think it was the fact that like, I knew that I was making making a difference with my story. Like I could tell in the room when I'm speaking that people are feeling moved and people are feeling some type of, of emotion. And I think the best thing that I've learned is like for people to want to make a difference, make a change, you have to humanize things. You have to put a person in front of them, have them tell their story, and make this issue seem real because on paper, People can read things all the time and not feel anything, but how do you come, you have a 19 year old newly diagnosed diabetic coming at you and telling you that her mom is stuck living it, like working a job she hates just so her daughter can have the insurance she needs to live. Like that was the story that I started with. And that's the biggest story that like kind of put my foot in the door of like, there's actually more parts to this. Um, And just that one advocacy time that I had, like, changed everything. And I was like, tell me the next time you're doing this. Like, I want to be there. Um, And then it just kind of continued. I attended multiple, like, roundtables with legislators. I wrote multiple letters to legislators specifically that were against the bill that we're advocating for. Um, And we just held rallies and just kept making our voices heard. And they finally heard us. But it took three, four years in 2020 to finally get um, the bill signed into law.
0: What What was that like whenever the bill did get signed into law for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was great. Um, I've never felt anything like it. Like knowing that each time that I spoke and each time that I advocated for the little guy, like it meant something. Um, it was so cool. It was just the feeling that I'm like chasing, I'm chasing that feeling again, like knowing that I just changed the lives of people in Minnesota um, is like, I want to do it all all across the world. Like I want to do it federally. Who needs to do it? Just like, I love Minnesota. It's where I'm from um, and grew up, but it's like, I want to do this federally. And that's the feeling that I'm chasing. And that's ultimately a goal of mine.
0: So I I know it's called the insulin Affordability Act. What what exactly does that mean? What does that mean for the people of Minnesota?
1: Yeah. So it gives uninsured Minnesotans access to a 60 or a 90-day supply of um insulin. So anyone that is uh, doesn't have insulin, can't obtain it, struggling, um, they're able to walk into any pharmacy and tell them. Like it's so it's called the Alex Smith Insulin Affordability Act. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually named after. A good friend of mine, Nicole um, Smith Holt, her son passed away due to rationing his insulin. Mm -hmm. Um, So she pretty much led this whole movement throughout Minnesota and federally. Um, She's working on that at the federal level now, but she led that and because of her son passing away. um, But yeah, that's, you can go and get insulin and are set for the next 60 to 90. feels good in that moment, but there's a lot more that we can do because what happens when the 16, 90 days are up.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, Did you feel like your experience as a student athlete helped you in these conversations? Do you feel like it ever, you know, legitimize is not the right word because obviously you have that experience personally, but do you feel like people were more open to listening to you? Do you feel like people gave you more attention, I guess, because of your experience as a student athlete. and I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to ask it, but yeah. do you feel like that experience maybe helped open some doors, I guess?
1: Yeah, I definitely think, um well, being a student athlete to begin with gave me the confidence I needed to approach these doors even to like start doing this work um, because I knew what I could do and I knew that I could perform. This is just a different playing field. It's roughly like I knew that I had the confidence to talk to people. And I knew that I could convince people to hopefully see a different side of things. Um, And being a student athlete helped me also like navigate the world of like putting everything, like focusing on things, I guess. I'm not sure how to put it into words, but it's like being an athlete, you have one goal and you're determined and you're driven and that is your focus and taking that same motivation and determination into advocacy work is really what helped. Like, I don't think I'd be as committed and driven and dedicated if I wasn't an athlete, because I know the pain of going through working at all season long to lose that game that you needed to win, you know, and I have put up with so much that it's like, this is just a different type of way to do that work.
0: Nice. That's a good way to frame it. Um and, and you know, speaking of student athletes, you know, I, I know you are recently, you know, here in Indianapolis for the career and sports forum around other student athletes, um, you know, centered around professional and personal development. What were you kind of hoping to get out of that experience and and how was it for for you over those four days?
1: Yeah, no, it was great. First time in Indianapolis officially. I've been there to play lacrosse games, but usually trips, you're there, you're out. So you don't get to actually see it. Beautiful city. Um, the form, the conference was amazing. The, like the speakers, the keynotes, everything that I could have hoped happened. Um, and it really shaped what I wanna do in the future. Um, Cause I uh-huh. wanna focus on DEI and I wanna do like racial health and equity. Um, but growing up I didn't see many people in like executive positions that were black or any person of color let alone women Um, and seeing some really high people high up in the NCAA that are women of color that are just like change makers like gave me that inspiration and drive to like I can get there if I want to get there Um, so like right now I'm just focused on The DEI and the little guy, like the small space of blue cross, blue shield, um, but definitely shaped my idea for my career of like, I also want to get into DEI in the athletic space because I know what it's like to be an athlete that you don't really have anyone in your corner. I've been the only person of color, honestly, on all my lacrosse teams. um, And it's been really hard navigating a space that doesn't feel like I belong to being the minority in every space I go to. It's like, am I able to get there? And being at this conference, seeing so many diverse people that just, I don't know, it's a different type of inspiration when you see someone that looks like you doing what you want to do and them succeeding at it.
0: Oh, I'm sure. Well, and you describing, you know, being the only black female on a, on a lacrosse team uh, for the majority of your your student athlete experience, like how did you navigate that? Because like, I, I assume that that is, it was difficult. And there was a range of emotions probably that came with that, especially during the time when there was really a movement for um, mm-hmm. social justice and Black Lives Matter and things were happening in the world. So I'm sure it maybe did you feel like you had a spotlight on you at times or did you feel any sort of pressure to handle certain things a certain way?
1: Yeah. Um, the one thing about being the only black person on the team that can actually speak to experiences is that everyone wants you to speak to them. Um, and regardless of like how great it is, it takes a toll being the only person that can really like put into words what I'm feeling. Um, but I think the one thing I have to say is that on both my teams that I played on at Mount Olive and Concordia university, that I had people that were in my corner. Mm -hmm. I had people that in Minnesota, they went to protests with me, my teammates, like they had my back. They helped advocate for me too when I couldn't do it. At some point I was like, I can't keep being the one who teaches you guys Right. right from wrong, just because I fit in with that demographic. It's like, you also need to learn how to teach yourself And you have to do your own work, like for yourself, you have to read. I can't just give you what you need to feel like you understand it. I don't know how to elaborate, but that's just kind of like, it's hard being that one person where everyone's going to turn to because they're like, oh, you're black. Like you have to understand. It's like, yeah, I am black, but I'm also watching like my community fall apart and like be hurt. So I can't help you or make you feel better and like, try to tell you like, what can you do to help? It's like, Google it. I, right. and I hate doing that. I didn't do it much, but there were a couple of times I was like, I can't be the person to give you all the resources you need just because I am black. Like at the end of the day, it's like, I did give resources cause I want to push people in the right direction, but I cannot, I couldn't always be that like middle, middle man of every situation.
0: Well, I'm sure you were feeling a certain way for your community and mm-hmm. i obviously you said you know teammates would come to you asking certain questions or ask you to to go to or attend rallies and such with mm-hmm. you but like that's a lot to carry for one person that's a lot of you know you got broad shoulders and to to carry that weight um yeah. had to be hard but having having you know teammates coaches administrators ever support you did that mm-hmm. help you know i obviously i i can recognize the the frustration or not frustration but just um the difficulty in being the one source for a lot of people i guess from from yeah. how you described it um but when people would want to come alongside you and learn with you what mm-hmm. was that experience like and how did that help you hurt you uh, how, how was that
1: yeah um i was very thankful that people were reaching out like it was like a double edged sword essentially like i was super thankful people were coming out and like asking me for help But then at the same time, it was very hard to navigate that. Um, But my coaches have been the most supportive um, with everything. Like they asked what they can do for me, not what I can do for them, which was super helpful. Um, And I actually had the opportunity to speak on an NCAA panel about student-athlete activism. I think it was in 2021 where I was able to really elaborate how coaches could support their athletes um, and just kind of how administration can support their athletes and it was nice because my administration was doing that. So it was like I was speaking from experience like I had all the support that I got from my administration um so it was just great it's really great having that community feel within your athletics as well not just your overall community.
0: Awesome. I'm very thankful and glad you got that support from from your your student athlete uh, experience and that that community. That that's great um kind of wrapping up here i know we've we've talked about a lot of things and i can't thank you enough for your your frank frankness and your your honesty like it's it's really nice to have this type of conversation um but talk about what's next for alexa stanley what's what's next what's on your uh what's in the future for you
1: yeah um that is a loaded question because i'm not sure yet and honestly i am okay with that um so many things has happened, have happened in my life where I just don't, I can't plan out things because I have the time, like I just don't think they're going to go the way that they're meant to be. Um, but I definitely am going to stick with um, diversity, equity, inclusion and like the racial health and equity space. And I'm hoping just what's next is that I'm going to change the world. And that's what I'll leave you guys with because I don't want to spoil too much.
0: I greatly appreciate your time. And I, and as I said, I very much appreciate this conversation. You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer that, you know, you really learn about somebody's character whenever they go through difficult times. And the fact that you've gone through so many difficult things from with your sister, um, you know, George Floyd's murder in your, in your city, you know, find out insulin and, and all these other things, like you've channeled all of that for good and used it in a positive way. And, you know, I think you're an inspiration and People can learn a lot from that. You can't just sometimes you want to just lay in bed and cry all day or, you know, uh, just kind of hide from things, but you've embraced challenges and been a advocate for change. And that's the best thing you can do whenever you go through tough times. So kudos to you, Alexis. Like awesome to you.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on today. I love this conversation. I love talking with you.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for the time and uh can't can't express enough gratitude for sharing your experience so uh, excited to follow your journey moving forward
1: perfect thank you so much
0: thank you well this wraps up this edition of college sports conversation presented by the ncaa thank you for joining us